Hi, my name is Yara and I'm the host of Life After Birth. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wajak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I send my respects and reverence to Wajak Noongar elders, past, present and emerging. On this podcast, we share stories and wisdom about the ups and downs of our mothering experiences, much like the First Nations people of Australia have done so through their storytelling for over 60,000 years. Through their oral traditions, the Wajak Noongar people have supported and celebrated one another and have passed down knowledge, values and lessons, providing a testament of the power and significance of sharing our own stories. In honouring them, we recognise the importance of storytelling in understanding our past, navigating our present and shaping our future. My hope is that this podcast carries this spirit forward in our conversations, acknowledging that while our stories may differ, they all hold value and contribute to our shared human experience. Hey Mama, I'm Yara Heary and this is Life After Birth. This is where you can find honest and vulnerable conversations that lift the veil on how mothers really experience life after birth. Join me as I talk to the experts in the parenting space, but not as you've heard them before. These conversations explore the common humanity in all our lived experiences as mothers, so that you're left feeling seen, heard, validated, and bolstered in your ability to weather your mothering storms. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to be bringing you this conversation with Beth Berry today. Beth is a writer, life coach, mother of four daughters and lover of the sacred feminine. She's a revolutionary at heart and spends much of her time supporting and encouraging women toward the realization of their fullest potential. In her book, Motherwhelmed, Beth takes a deep but lighthearted look at the messy frontier of modern day motherhood and provides the perspectives and tools needed for mothers to rewrite their stories and reclaim a sense of wholeness. Uh, talking with Beth felt like talking to a friend across the sea, you know, someone who'd known me my whole life. That was the feeling that I had in hearing her story because I felt so seen in her story and her experience of being a mother, even though, of course, there will always be differences. Uh, Beth takes us through becoming a mother at the tender age of 17 when she was still, you know, figuring out who she was. We talked about the cost to her well-being that came from her feeling that her identity and purpose was really grounded in motherhood and the burden on modern mothers that comes from the lack of support in the community or village. We also then talked a little bit about some of the thoughts she has on how we can begin to take back our power as mothers. This was a truly beautiful and at times quite confronting conversation with Beth, and I really appreciate that. And I just know that you're going to absolutely love it. Beth, I am so honored to have you on the podcast today for you taking time to have a chat with me and to share a little bit of your story with everyone. So welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me. I'm excited to have this conversation. So I'm going to start with the question I always start with, which listeners are probably very used to hearing this now. So I really like to know what your story is. So where have you come from? And obviously parts of your story at this present moment are going to include your mothering journey, but I'd really love to know further back than that, you know, so that we have some context about how you then entered into being a mother. Mm -hmm. So I became a mother very young. I was 17. And so 
when I think about who I was before motherhood, I was a kid, you know, I was a, I was a teenager rebelling and trying to figure out a sense of self. I was differentiating from my parents. I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian household, very safe feeling, a lot of love and security and some environment, but also very, you know, I felt kind of like I lived in a bubble. And the way that I was taught to think about the world, I outgrew very young. I was like nine when I started asking questions that my parents were uncomfortable with and and started realizing I didn't like their answers. So my rebellion started pretty young because it just wasn't a big enough container. I do feel really grateful for the safety and security that it provided, but but then it didn't take long before I realized that you know the world beyond was some was a world I was going to need to explore. So then by the time I was a, a teenager, you know, I was kind of in the thick of that rebellion <laughs> when I got pregnant young and had very little, you know, support in terms of not getting pregnant. I, I just was really quite clueless out in the world, having come from such a conservative background. But but then pregnancy at such a young age pretty quickly gave me a, a sense of purpose. Like I, I, I very quickly was like, this is my baby. I just intuitively knew that this was my child to raise. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly enough, this, I think so much of the rebellion was who am I and what am I here for? And it needs to be for something bigger than this ridiculous high school mm. drama that everyone else is enacting that I had no interest in being a part of. And so suddenly I had something really so clearly purposeful to plug into and motherhood yeah. became like the first really just such a clear, clearly important mm. investment of my of my time and energy and heart. Yeah. And, you know, so starting off with becoming a mother at at 17 is is young. So who, how would you describe who you were at 17? Like, even if you taking a snapshot of that, that young woman at that Mm -hmm. age, you know, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I was extremely idealistic and passionate and artistic. You know, I was a little like, revolutionary. I was, I was ready to, to change the world. I had all the confidence in the world that I would, Mm. you know, I hadn't yet sort of had life, you know, beat me down in in such a way that, that I, that reality was a little more in my face Mm. at that point just yet. I remember that I was, as you're uh saying that I'm sort of thinking about myself in those years as well. And thinking how, as you're saying that, I'm just remembering how much of a drive you have in those years when you are at that age, because you don't feel that there is anything that can hold you back. Like you feel so propelled mm-hmm. forward in the areas mm-hmm. that you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I was convinced that I, that if we just did X, Y, and Z, we could change, we could mm. change the systems, we could, we could make it all better. And, and I really have since come to had sort of a journey around going back and forming a relationship with that 17 year old girl and which has been really powerful and so yeah she was she was pretty badass actually she was she was pretty cool Mm. and not in not cool as in what are all the other kids doing but in that she I did I was really thinking for myself and Mm -hmm. willing to be on the fringes in order to be myself Mm-hmm. which was could was isolating at times for mm-hmm. sure 
And when you are talking there about that, you know, in, in youth, how we think that to solve a problem, we just go, yes, ABC. I'm super interested then to hear as we continue on in the conversation, how your view expanded in that space, because I think once we become mothers and we start to see some of the structural kind of inequities that exist in the sort of construct of motherhood, how much more complicated that really is, you know, Mm -hmm. on so many different levels. So I'm interested in that. But before we get there, I'd love to know, so moving into motherhood, it sounds like you were excited about this new stage of life because it felt like it gave you very clear purpose and clarity around what your life was going to mean and where your energy was going to be directed at that point. What sorts of expectations did you have going into mothering in terms of who you would be as a mother and and how you might navigate that relationship and, you know, were you aware, were you sort of, I think we all know things change when we become mothers, but really understanding that is another thing. And, and obviously some mm-hmm. of that only comes with lived experience. But, yeah, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on those things. Yeah. So very early on I was struck by how sort of intense my intuition was. Mm. That really, it still kind of makes me tear up to think about being mm. so young and being so quickly connected with my my body and my spirit in terms of the connection I felt with her. Mm. And so like the first night I had a a birth in the hospital and the first night that I brought her home from the hospital, she was in a a crib across the room from me and it was too far. It was too far away. And so, you know, me being the like rebellious 17 year old that I was and feeling very like a very intuitive sense of what to do. I went over and scooped her up and tucked her in beside me and co-slept mm. with that that a mm. soul in the world, whoever gave me that permission or said this is dangerous or not dangerous. I just knew that that was what she needed, you know. Yeah. And and so going into motherhood, I had really absolutely no idea what I was getting, getting myself into, mm. but I did very quickly have a sense that I could trust my intuition because it was such a strong force. It just, I felt such a clarity. And I think it also helped that for all of our differences in the ways that we saw the world, my mom is very, a very intuitive mother and she, she really encouraged my intuition. And that made a big difference for me. She would, I would say like, what do I do? She, she's, and I was living with my parents still for those first Mm. two years. Mm. So that was about the most natural thing in the world. Like, again, (laughs) even though we didn't totally align in in terms of how we saw the world and made sense of the world, my living with my family those first two years was so supportive. And it just felt like absolutely right, because those are the other people who, you know, by extension would love her as much as or almost as much as I did. Mm. And they it was really like some two, maybe two of the least stressful years of motherhood I've ever experienced mm-hmm. were those first two years when I was still a teenager because I had, mm-hmm. if I needed a shower, yeah, I got a shower. People were fighting over who was going to hold the baby, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, that is the dream. <laughs> I live far from my mother. So my mother lives mm-hmm. in Sweden. And I remember when she came here to Australia when my first was eight months old. And I remember on this occasion when she left just the grief that I had because in that short period of time of a couple of weeks that she'd been there, she anticipated 
everything that needed doing. And it was like right. I had I had never experienced really that feeling of just being so held. And even though, as you say, you know, you may have your differences in the way that you view the world, knowing that someone is there loving your child and anticipating their needs and and in a lot of ways my needs as well yeah. was just the most nourishing and restorative and repairing kind of experience that I have ever had, you know, with a parent. Yeah. So it was really, yeah, something very special. Yeah. And I feel like that gave me a, I was just going to say, I feel like that gave me a unique perspective on looking back on it, that how much the mothers still need mothering, you oh know, like goodness. how that's such a piece of the puzzle that yeah, so many women are ex- experiencing that loss and not even knowing how to name it and feeling like what, what's wrong with me that I don't, enjoy this more or that I feel so inadequate or whatever. It's because we're never supposed to be the only ones in the mix caring for all the needs yes. of our ourselves, our children, our, our families. So having more than one person who's filling that mother archetype mm. is pretty, pretty essential. And it's something yeah. we've, we're having to remember and mm. bring back because it's been, you know, sort of removed from the, the cultural narratives and norms. Yeah. And I love that. Just the mother needs mothering and the mother needs holding. Yeah. It's just so, so important. I'd really love to know, you talked there about really feeling connected to your intuition. And I'd love to know why you think that was the case. And because one of the things that I see with women who, you know, with mothers, and this is both, you know, friends of mine in my circle, my own experience as well, and also, you know, mothers that I work with, is that actually being connected to your intuition around parenting and around your own needs even is something that many women really struggle with. So I'd love to know what you think it was that maybe developed that and allowed that to feel strong enough that you fully trusted in that. At such Mm -hmm. a tender age as well. Hey mamas, it's Yara here from Life After Birth Psychology. I want to talk to you about something that many mothers carry a lot of shame about, and that's anger. Have you ever found yourself thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so angry? Why can't I just stay calm? Well, I want you to know that you're not alone. So many mothers quietly worry about their anger. But did you know that your anger carries messages that can unlock a more regulated and fulfilling experience for you as a mother? To support you in changing your relationship with anger, I have created a self-paced online workshop designed to help you understand your anger and learn to process and express it in more adaptive and healthy ways. Within the workshop, you'll explore the role of your nervous system, the hidden messages in your emotions, and even how your past influences how you respond to challenge and stress today. But the best part, you'll gain practical tools that'll help you gracefully steer through those intense moments, all while deepening the heartfelt connections you cherish with your children and loved ones. Ready to get started? All you have to do is head to lifeafterbirthpsychology.podia.com, scroll down and click on my Why Am I So Angry workshop. You can also check out the link in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show. Mm -hmm. I do think it was in part my own mom and her examples of intuitive mothering. I I also, so I, I read something years and years ago that I haven't been able to find the source of. I don't remember where I read it. You know, one of those, one of those things. But it was a study on mother bears. 
And in this study, it was mother bears with their cubs. And there was a river that needed to be crossed that was not safe for the cubs. Mm. And so some of the mother bears would walk for days down the river trying to find a safe place to cross. And, you know, and they would risk their own starvation, <laughs> whatever, whatever it took to make sure that the babies could cross it at this one point. And the babies are okay because they're nursing the, mm. the whole, whole time. And other mother bears would cross regardless of whether it was safe and, and, and risk the, the well-being, the safety of, of the cubs. And they then studied the brain chemistry of these two, these two mothers, groups of mothers, and found that some, the ones that would walk for days had more of the sort of mothering hormones, higher levels of these hormones than others. And I, so I do think there's a range and that's kind of an extreme example, but it really did help me to, to read that because I experienced, like, I couldn't understand when I would hear about, you know, other moms as I got a little older, cause I didn't know any other, mm. you know, young mothers at the time really, or many, but as I got older and, and I would hear about a mother saying, like totally okay with the like going back to work for work for pay full time and excited about it and i was gutted by the idea gutted i couldn't my every my whole it was like i felt like a death to my soul and out of integrity and all of these things and that that helped me understand that it's it is different for every mother and that there's nothing right or wrong about but i think it can help us to understand one another to, to recognize that we don't all have the same wiring. We're not, and, and it, it's okay. There's not any, like, I really dislike the, the pitting of the, 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 the working moms versus the, the stay at home moms. I think it's a really useless and dangerous division and really super unhelpful. But so that if we can honor that there's a range and that, you know, there are a whole lot of benefits too. I now see having lived many more mothering experiences, I see how that intuition fast forward many, you know, three more children later, that intuition led to my utter self-abandonment for years. Mm -hmm. So it was also problematic, especially when you put that in the context of this idea of like villagelessness, we don't have the yeah. village and yet yeah. I have this intuition to give my all to my children. And then after those couple of first couple of years, I didn't live with my family anymore. And so it was a very different set of circumstances. And so to give that much as a mother, mm. I utterly depleted myself and that wasn't actually good for anyone. So I, I actually, I, I think that our intuition is such a beautiful thing. And I also think that there are advantages mm. <laughs> for the mothers and the families of the, the children of the mothers whose intuition isn't so strongly, doesn't mm. have them so strongly focused on the needs of their children at their own expense. Yeah. Because I do, I do think there's a range there that's actually an important range. Mm. Mm. I wonder if, if one of the things around that as well is that because you had that that village, right? Like your parents, there was more capacity for you to really tune into that, right? To tune into what yeah. you're calling your intuition for that. Mm -hmm. And the, maybe the issue could have been that 
once that village was no longer there, you developed a certain way of actually being a mother, which was really when you were present with your with your children that you really provided all of yourself. But then, yeah, as you're saying, in the absence of that village, then that becomes difficult. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense that the intuition can can be supported by our circumstances. Yeah. Mm. And Clarissa Pinkolas does talks about in, instinct injury and how that's so much of what we are struggling with because the the circumstances that we're living within don't honor the instinct and don't yes. allow us to really listen and and have the space to even hear or listen be- mm. also because the voices of the of the overculture are so yes. loud yes yes yeah so really what you're talking about there is this like i think about it as almost i think about it as almost like an authenticity or an integrity and how we can be misaligned with that because there is so much pressure from externally to be a particular way, but also because there isn't supports in our system to really help us develop and nurture that that inner compass that really keeps us aligned with what feels good for us, right, in terms yeah. of as people, as women and as mothers. Absolutely. And it, that starts with birth, you know, and before that even that there we don't have rites of passage. We don't yeah. have ceremonies that are helping us to see that becoming a mother we're in becoming a mother, we're becoming an expanded version of ourselves. In fact, we're taught that once we become a mother and we have the baby, then we should try to bounce back to some previous version of ourselves, our bodies or whatever it may be, our, our lifestyles. Yeah. And so that goes against the instinct actually. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so then we also then compound that with doctors as experts, and you know all all the experts the parenting experts and we're we're taught to look outside ourselves and listen to to other people for guidance and those people may or may not actually have any personal relationship with us or understanding of our unique circumstances mm. or temperaments or anything yeah. so it that's very different i think than having the the guidance and the mentorship of someone like like your own mother or yeah, an elder yeah. who's yes. in your life watching yes. you unfold yes. and saying, here's what I see. Yes. It's very different than the, the expert who's, mm-hmm. you know, wrote, wrote the book and will never, you will never meet. Yeah. You know? I so agree with that. I was talking to a beautiful woman, Dale Stone, and she was saying the same thing. She was saying, where are the elders? You know, we don't, we don't have these figures built in and sometimes well, not just sometimes in the modern way that we live so separated from families and then also with the pandemic and all the rest of it, you know, it becomes harder to be in contact and to access those people. But then at the same time, I think one of the beautiful things of being in the modern world too is how connected we can be. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if we don't have those people in our immediate circles, being able to, you know, hear someone speak and really resonate with the core of their message and then trying to, you know, working with people, for example, who could be in that place of being like a mentor or a elder or something like that, I think is so important as well, right? Like creating the village when it is absent yeah. in your immediate space is so important. I totally agree. Super important. And and that we recognize that our elders are not, not necessarily, the elders and olders are two different things. Mm. You know, people, mm-hmm. there are many people who are older than us who are perhaps not on a growth and healing path. 
mm-hmm. or who ha- aren't particularly self-aware or introspective, who aren't countering these systems, but they're pr- very much participants in them and that that is what helps them create a feeling of safety and security in their own lives. Yes. We've got to start differentiating and being able to have discernment around, wait a minute, is this an elder in that they have lived a life in such a way that I feel like I can and want to glean from their wisdom? Yeah. Or is this someone who simply happens to be older than me, who's lived a life experience, but not necessarily in alignment yes. with my values Yes, and have that discernment? Such an important differentiation. Yeah, that's huge, mm-hmm. huge. So Beth, I'd love to know when you then entered motherhood, so also aware that you have four, is it four mm-hmm. girls? Yeah. yeah. And of of sort of varying ages. So when you first went into motherhood, what do you feel was was the work for you and, you know, otherwise mm. maybe thought of as the challenge for you? And I feel like there are lots of there are lots of challenges, I think, along the path of parenting. I think sometimes we have a challenge, which may be our, you know, the work of our life almost that happens right. through the mirrors that sometimes our, you know, our children become. But yeah, what was your biggest challenge or your work mm. in that early period when you first became a mother? But then also, you know, very interested to hear how that has developed and changed over the time that you have been a mother. Well, yeah, it's developed and changed a whole lot, but in the very early days, I would say the challenge for me was trying to figure out how I was going to create a stability and be a provider of my daughter's needs beyond, you know, once, because I I did want to move out of my parents' home, you know, Mm. even though there was such a supportive environment, I was very much conditioned my whole life to to think that what you do next is you move out and you, you know, especially as a parent, I I was trying to get back to a closer version of what felt like the right way to be a mother, which was like, I need to find a partner now because she deserves to have a father, you know, and, and there were some of it was like a lot of the challenge for me was number one, working my way through college with Mm -hmm. a a toddler Mm. And being a single mom and all that that entailed once I moved out of my parents' home. And then creating, I would say, a sense of belonging. Mm. That was a, a big one for me was I, I knew that the ways that my parents had constructed their own lives and their own sense of community which within the, the church wasn't what I was looking for. And so... But that was a huge shift for me to, yeah. to go from that's there's sort of a, a built in sense of belonging like there. That mm. is a benefit of staying within a faith community. Right. It would have been easier in some ways if my you know authenticity wasn't so strong. It would have been easier to just be like, <laughs> sure, I, I agree with enough of this. I'll stay here. Here's a lot of people who love me. Mm. But to build a sense of community and, and a, a, a sensation of belonging yeah. in my body for myself that I would say I expended quite a bit of energy and time in that realm for, for a while. And then repeatedly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> as, as I would move and as I, you know, cause it was a very sort of a transient time of my life, college yeah. age, you know, yeah. there's a lot that changes and people move all over mm. the place. So, so yeah, trying to both 
focus on the needs of my daughter and my own very different needs as a college student and yeah. also trying to, you know, work for, for pay while navigating the, the stories that I didn't internalize a lot of them surprisingly, but I, because I had such a strong sense that I will be a good mother, but there was this sense that I need to prove to the world that I'll yeah. be a good mother because mm-hmm. I started so young. Mm-hmm. So there was some of that that I that I battled at the time as well. Mm. That that need for belonging, that sense for belonging, which is such a a a natural part of being a human, right? And you know, and that, and I'm I, I don't know if this is what you mean, but I'm wondering if that search for belonging. I remember I don't remember the exact words that Maya Angelou used, but it was something about belonging to yourself right? So you belong to mm-hmm. no one. It was a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful phrase. And I'm thinking about that as you're saying that, because I'm thinking about the idea of belonging within a a community of faith and what that means, right? Like that it's in some ways conditional mm-hmm. versus the idea of belonging to yourself, which means truly putting, how do I describe it? Getting clear about what your values are and what is meaningful mm-hmm. to you in the world and finding a way to live in alignment with that even when it costs you it's hard isn't it you know I you know when you were talking about that it would be easier to just stay in the space of feeling like you belong but with conditions potentially than to be wandering out into as Brene calls it the wilderness you know and 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 finding your people out there like it's such a more difficult path and for me in this you know, becoming a mother has absolutely been the catalyst for pushing me into that space. I've always been someone personally who was happy to stand outside of the norm and wouldn't seek that specifically, but it, I would be happy to do that if that's what it what was important for me. But certainly being a mother has thrust that into the spotlight on a whole nother mm-hmm. level, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. thinking about my kids and I'm thinking about the the standard that I'm setting and the role modeling and the imprinting and thinking about my own childhood and and how I have had how hard that's been for me to find that place of belonging to myself yeah Mm. yeah Yeah. that's it's such a big one and then in addition to that I think where things start to get pretty complex for mothers is that we're not only trying to establish a sense of belonging for ourselves but for Mm. our children yeah and that's no small task you know because that means finding community that not only do we enjoy, you know, the company of or feel supported by, but also that aligns with our values enough that we actually want that community to hold our children. And and where are those people? And and even once you have found some people, usually there's a feeling of being a bit scattered from them, either, you know, geographically, like you know, how many of us can mm-hmm. say that a lot of our community lives across the world or across the country or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but to establish and maintain a sense of community and a sense of belonging among other people and establish that for your children is a lot of work. And I think so many of us didn't start off with a sense of belonging to ourselves first, mm, <laughs> you know? No, no. And so we're, <laughs> we're, we're starting off kind of at a bit of a, a disadvantage in that our sense of our need for a sense of belonging feels can feel a bit, we could feel a bit desperate for it because mm-hmm. we don't have the sense of belonging to ourselves yet. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, at least speaking for myself, mm. comp- made some compromises in that regard 
because of this dire need, because I do think it is one of our primal needs as humans is to belong. Mm -hmm. So if I don't feel a total sense of belonging to myself Mm. as a starting, as a starting point, which most people in their twenties don't Don't get, you know, (laughs) yeah, totally. (laughs) You know, Brene wasn't writing about this stuff just yet, you know, (laughs) among other people. Yeah. And uh, so that I think we, a lot of us have to go through many versions of belonging. Do I belong here? I don't know. It's not quite Mm. it. How about here and yeah. or being rejected by some circles because for, for whatever reason, we're in this constant relationship with a sense of belonging for a while and through, throughout our lives. I, I think that that does continue, but it does change considerably once you then mm. come into a sense of belonging with with yourself. Yeah, it's like a a constant refinement. And I'm so I'm six years into being a mother. And I mean, one of the things that tells me that I'm maybe not operating in a space where belonging to myself is taking precedence is when I'm feeling very frustrated in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling really Mm -hmm. torn between lots of different demands and responsibilities. And it's always at that point where, you know, it all comes crashing down and I go, Oh yeah, I forgot to actually do the things that really matter to me, the things I'm doing right. all these things for other people or I'm, you know, sacrificing in some way that is too much in these particular right. places. And then it's just like, okay, let's look at all of that now and refine that again and find how I can belong to myself again in this space. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think this this is a, a a special kind of struggle of the modern mother because of the absence of the village. Mm. that we this would feel different if we did have rich communities that we could count on because part of what we're seeing and experiencing is that our our children have a lot of needs mm. they they have a lot of needs yeah. that are never not, ending not <laughs> and meant to be never ending and never ending so that which means that our nervous systems are never getting breaks from the constant chaos and stimulation all of that's meant to be spread among a, a village of people, a community of people. And so not only is there this lack of a sense of belonging to that community of people for a lot of us and a be- lack of a sense of belonging to ourselves, but not a whole lot of space and spaciousness within which to then do that inner work and self-reflection to get to that healthier sense of belonging to ourselves or understand what's missing in our yes. environment. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. That is one of the things that I find frustrating because I feel like I'm parenting myself or reparenting myself alongside doing the job of parenting my children, which is extraordinarily challenging work when there is very little rest to sit and reflect and not just to reflect, but then to action some of these reflections that we've made, right? That can be so incredibly challenging. Yeah, definitely. We all need to... (laughs) Sometimes I have this fantasy of I was talking to a girlfriend the other day about like, should we just buy property and and set up this like, you know, mama girlfriend village down there and just all look after each other? And she was like, we'd drive each other mad. So who knows? But, you know, the fantasy is nice. I think there's a lot of people with that fantasy right now. And I think it's I think it's it's an important fantasy and it's important, an important vision that we need more and more people holding because even if it's not that we all like find our, the people we can tolerate the most and buy land with them and start small co-housing communities, even if that's not it, 
Mm. What we can be doing is changing the narratives slowly, but surely. And that when we're making, helping our own kids make sense of things that we're helping them understand this isn't a personal problem. Mm. This is systemic. This is the lack of the village. This is, we are naming those things so that we're, those things are slightly changing and profoundly changing the cultural narrative. The more of us who, who don't just have this feeling like, I really wish that I could live on a piece of property with my, my, my girlfriends that we really take that. And, 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 uh, you know, in that precious little spare time we have for reflection, it Mm. really under start to understand what, what is that telling us? What is that showing us about our values, about our desires for the future, about orientations. And, you know, Tokopa Turner says something along the lines of make everything you do include others like that as one of this, the time of the lone wolf is over. Yes. We need to be, you know, and, and everything we're doing, we've got to start thinking, how can we be solving this problem? Not what's wrong with me and how can I solve this problem mm-hmm. that I've, you know, that, that is a problem, a personal problem. Yeah. And I like for me, whenever I have that yearning for like, oh, I just want to run away (laughs) and do like some land somewhere with my girlfriends, it reminds me to actually check in with them. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so as you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, and you know, if we can't go and do that, right, for whatever reason, how can we surround the other mothers in our in our village, right? Like in terms of those girlfriends thinking, checking in on them, asking how they're going finding ways to support one another so we can really disrupt the narrative of how women work in a collective, how mothers work in a collective, which can so often be full of competition and and, yep. and judgment and things like that and looking for ways around that and to support each other in, in different ways. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, earlier when you were talking about that time leading up to becoming a mother and being young and trying to kind of find your place you mentioned the word identity there and I wanted to just circle back to that and ask you how that went for you once you did become a mother like did you Mm because certainly one of the things that I experienced in many mothers that I have spoken to experience is this real sense of who am I now that I have become a mother and Mm -hmm. a lot of that I think you know we sort of define ourselves by not only how we think about the world, but also what we actually do day to day. So, you know, the actual small daily tasks that we engage in help to define our sense of self. And I'm just interested to know how that went for you, especially at that young age where you are creating that image as you're going anyway. What was it like then to enter into motherhood while you are still navigating that space of who am I? Did you feel any kind of loss as you went into and transitioned into motherhood or did you actually feel I don't know like you were because I know you talked about having feeling like there was more clarity around your purpose did that kind Mm -hmm. of support you in in not feeling like there was such a loss around identity Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting because I I would actually say that the sensation of loss came later for me Mm. When I finally started awakening to the fact that I had been orienting my life around my family's needs and desires and at the expense of my own, but that took me a while to see because for a while it was just that this is, this is my purpose. So this is what I'm going to do. There wasn't, I wasn't even thinking like, what do I need? What, what, what needs to be done is that I center the needs of those who Mm -hmm. I love and 
Yeah. So in, in terms of my sense of identity, I absolutely, motherhood was the primary vehicle for exploring that for me. And, and it, all of my values I poured into motherhood. So anything from like, you know, cloth diapering and breastfeeding and co-sleeping, trying to like, like make all the Halloween costumes and, and, you know, like tending my home in a really holistic way, growing our food. Like those were my ambitions, Mm. all of those, like, I'm going to change the world that motherhood was the place that I did that through the vehicle. I did that through most and my home. And so much so that that's part of the reason that I ultimately burned out. I mean, we did all kinds of extreme things. Like, you know, at one point we decided we wanted to build our own off-grid home. And so we bought five acres. We had $5,000. Mm. And oh, I just laugh. It's, <laughs> the idealism was... Mm. But I remember we, reading about this in your book. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I remember reading yeah. about this in your book. I just remember that sense of dread. I knew what <laughs> what was coming, you know, as uh-huh. I was hearing you talk about that, you know. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because when I was reading about this in your book, I was thinking, you know, that idea that you had about how you would change the world as a mother by pouring so much into it, it seemed like from what you learnt based on what I read in the book, but also as I was reading it, I was thinking, it's almost the absolute opposite. And it's not that you don't pour yourself into motherhood, but mm-hmm. it's like, what is the standard of mothering that you're holding yourself accountable to that is going to change the world, right? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like yeah. that that self-sacrifice, that, you know, servitude is is part of being a mother, but on an extreme level, you know, and mm-hmm. and where that actually goes in the end. And also what that is sending down the line in terms of our lineage right. as well. Absolutely. Mm. Because it became for me what felt like a trap instead of a sensation of like liberation, which is what I was going for to begin with, you know, like we're going to, we're going to buy land and live off grid. And because of, I wanted, I mean, that was all based in values around, you know, the sense of freedom and the sense of industriousness and hard work and radical values around, you know, protecting the planet and and community. But we, <laughs> because I didn't know myself very well yet, you know, as the young in my early 20s, and I had such radical visions, I didn't realize how much the self-sacrifice was actually sort of digging me into a hole. I was just like, I will outwork anyone. I will just keep working. I'll work hard. Because mm. I also had a lot of energy back then. Mm. <laughs> you know? I had a lot of dreams and aspirations and the energy to put yeah. toward not much money, but yeah. <laughs> we were going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know? And and what do you feel? So when you talk about that you burnt out, what what did it cost you before you realized that that was what was happening? Well, I would say that burnout really came after the birth of my fourth daughter. So at that time, I had the newborn two-year-old. I was nursing both of them. And then I had a six-year-old I was homeschooling and a 13-year-old who was starting her own rebellion. We were living in a tiny little house. This was after the 240-square-foot tool shed we lived in while we were building. And then we upgraded to a 900-square-foot house. It's still a very small house. I... You know, I was sitting there nursing my newborn while my two-year-old cried wanting to nurse. And I was just utterly depleted, utterly depleted, still trying to uphold all those values, still Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, stick to my my self-imposed standards. 
mm. around motherhood and homemaking and such. And I, and I just, I remember looking around and thinking, I love, how can I love these children so fiercely, so much, and just absolutely hate my life? How did I get here? Where did, what happened? <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I'm orienting my life around my values. How can I hate what I've created here? Mm. And it was really that I had, there was no space for my needs at all. None. There was no consideration. There was like, that was not even on my radar. What I needed was it felt irrelevant because Mm -hmm. their needs felt more important. And -hmm. that was the moment where I realized that something had to give because if it didn't, Mm -hmm. I was going to model not this like, you know, values based hard work and, you know, change maker energy, but this resentful, like unwell mother, (laughs) you know, that was the path I was on that I was getting, starting to snap at my kids more. I was just looking at them and that they'd come at me with another needs. And I would like turn around and just like grind my teeth and frustrate. I was just like, Mm. I can't like just at my wits end all the time. And I had no feel that energy. I could feel like that. The uncomfortableness, you know, I can feel that energy. It's like, you know, down my back. Yeah. And also like, I can really relate to that. I have absolutely Mm. had moments like that too, you know, on paper, everything looks good, but we're, we're so depleted, as you say, and so unhappy and discontent. I feel like that is the word that I would use to describe it. So discontent in the moment to moment that it's really hard even to see those moments of joy. It's hard to be fully present in those moments. I have definitely been there. (laughs) Yeah, because yeah. if if everything looks good on paper or from the outside mm. and it's at the expense of the mother's well-being, then everything's not good on paper. You know, we need to be writing our own story in mm. to the narrative. It, yeah. And that's not how many of us have been conditioned. Mm-hmm. That we're actually just the mother's stories are not centered, never have been throughout history. Yeah. You know, and and so we don't see ourselves represented. We don't see that how is the mother doing and what are her aspirations and dreams and needs? Like that's not at all what was yeah. a part of my modeling growing no. up. So, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. Oh, thank you so much for, for sharing that so vulnerably with us and for letting, yeah. for letting me feel seen <laughs> in that. So thank you. And what do you feel has been, oh, how do I describe it? I, I'm really hesitant to use the word gifts, although I know that people use that word. And the reason why I'm hesitant to feel that way, to say that rather, is because I know that when I have been in hard times, that's just been really hard to hear, like to hear that word, Mm -hmm. to consider that, that something so hard could somehow have something of a gift within it. I don't know how you want to word that yourself or if you're comfortable with that word, but what's been your kind of biggest area of growth or what has been the silver lining amongst the challenge of it all? And I'm, I'm sort of have a hint of what that might be because it's sort of what we've been mm-hmm. talking about, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Well, I would say that some of the, like the biggest obvious silver lining is that I have then gone on to build a career and, <clears throat> you know, around 
these conversations and yeah. and around the the unmet needs is like what my work and passion is focused on now is helping mothers to catch all of that earlier now my eldest is 27 so I'm a ways into the journey and there's been many other stages that we haven't even talked about but mm. one of the silver linings is that I get it like when people are sharing struggle there's a whole lot that I can relate to and and that I understand the range of you know, I understand the beauty of mm. self-sacrifice mm. and also the shadow of it. Yeah. And I understand why mothers, so many mothers decenter their own needs and the beauty of that. It really is. It's a, it's an adaptation mm. to the villagelessness. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're saying, I care so much that in the absence of the village, I will take on these other roles, because that's how much I love these children, you know, that's beautiful mm-hmm. and problematic if we in general want mothers to rise. Yeah. Which I believe is like absolutely fundamental to changing the world is mothers, more yeah. mothers in their power, not in 100%. their percent and lost in their self-sacrifice. Yeah. When we are not in that space of, of, complete depletion we have so much more impact in the world not only because of the way we are engaging with our children and and what we are creating for the future through that but also the ways that we invest in the community around us and the way we can use our voices you know to amplify where change needs to happen in in structures culturally and socially as well yeah and you know one interesting thing that I've realization I've come to that I fought against, I didn't want this to be true for a long time, but I really do believe, and this, this will probably hit some mothers. Some mothers are not going to like hearing this because Mm -hmm. they're early enough that they, they haven't, well, you'll understand what I mean when I say it, but I really do believe that if we are, if more mothers are to rise and be in our power so that we can help to shape and change these systems that are not working for us, we're, we have actually need to be willing to let more of the impact of cultural dysfunction fall on our kids. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. the idealistic, super protective mothers who are early in the journey are like, oh, hell no, I, these are my babies. I'm, I will do anything to protect them from the dysfunction of the culture. But what I mean is like a really simple example is like when my first two were young, we did, there were no screens. I mean, we also didn't have the trouble with all the screens available now back mm. then, but there was, we did not have a TV. We didn't have, there was none of that as like a way that I could get a break for a minute. I did. It was, I was like, no, there will be no screens in this home. And, but when we are able to, when we do that, then we actually have that much less opportunity to resource ourselves. And so that's going to look different for everyone, but I feel like we have to use the tools we have currently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until we better tools are made available and better tools aren't going to be available unless we're helping shape those tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's a small thing, but if you can, the difference between someone who says absolutely zero screens, never, mm. or my five-year-old can watch these two shows that I've deemed wholesome enough for an hour a day while I take care of some of my own needs. Mm. There's 
I think that we really need to be examining those two different oh, scenarios for how totally. how well how sustainable is this one model versus the other and which one of these is honoring of both the child and the mother because if we're yeah. just honoring children's needs without also honoring the needs of the mother mm-hmm. even when it feels suboptimal in some ways mm-hmm. we got bi- we got big problems on our hands and these these systems are going to take longer to change it really oh, I so agree with you <laughs> and just you know and mm-hmm. I'm even thinking about I'm I'm thinking in other situations too in terms of dynamics in relationships between you know mothers and fathers even and and how letting some things fall because mm-hmm. we may refuse to be the one that is sacrificing all of the time. I'm thinking in that context too, but but certainly in terms of, you know, screen time. So these ideals really is what we're talking about, these ideals of, of what it looks like to be the perfect mother who cooks, you know, perfectly balanced, wholesome foods from scratch and never lets their kids watch TV and all the rest of it. But in the meantime is completely just losing it internally right Mm -hmm. like completely depleted it's really interesting the way that this that these you know these perfect mother myths sneak up on us even in the smallest ways for myself in the morning I'll have times when I'm trying to get the kids ready and I'm by myself because maybe my husband is away and you know I have this I, I things start to get chaotic sometimes and I'm so overwhelmed and so aware of how much tension I'm holding in my body and the energy is escalating and then I just put the TV on and it's the biggest, you know, breath of fresh air. It's like the kids are calm. They've put their clothes on. I can now do the lunch calmly. I can put their bags in the car. So then when it's time to take them, I just say, okay, it's time. And it's just them two that I have to get to the car rather than the chaos and the intensity and all of that sort of stuff. And I, even though I know that, I still have this struggle internally in my mind in the mornings, like, but how much is is too much. How many mornings can I do this? You know, all of this kind of thing. And it's just like, when I just surrender and say, what's going to be the best for all of us in this moment, it's not having a stressed out mum who's screaming like a maniac in the morning because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get everyone out, haven't eaten breakfast, you know, haven't, I'm still in my pajamas sometimes, like trying to get the, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. Right. And it's like, actually just so disempowering. That's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you said, disempowered because I think that's really the key word here is that we've got to figure out what in under these circumstances that I'm living Mm. until I'm able to somehow change them or they are changed and I have more support or I have more hands on deck to to help you know hold these children in their needs what can I do that would be most empowering to me that's not that we hold both what is wholesome and nurturing for them and also what is empowering and nurturing for us And that those have to go side by side and that, you know, that also to name for ourselves, what is the need that is going unmet in this moment? What are the needs? Because it's usually more than one that that are unmet for me that are unmet for these kids. So if we can say in this moment, there is an unmet need for the kind of support that I need to have a peaceful morning, getting these kids out the door, there need to be other adults minding, you know, supporting this transition from one thing to another in the absence of that, here's the tool I'm choosing to use so that it's an impact. It's a choice you're making. It's an empowered choice. If we were living under, in a, under a more ideal circumstances, this would be done by grandpa or grandma Mm -hmm. or the aunties or whoever. Yeah. That would be better. I would prefer that. And I'm going to give myself a little bit of space to actually feel 
the sting and the grief of that, mm. that instead I'm going to turn on a show because that's all I have, mm. but I'm sure as hell going to turn on the show so mm-hmm. that my nervous system isn't not, on top of the grief. I'm mm-hmm. not also completely fried, yeah. flipping out at my kids and actually yeah. causing harm. Yes. Yes. And I think that that last piece there around harm is such an important thing because there's so much more harm that can be done when mothers are completely fried and dysregulated and up in their arousal all the time, as opposed to putting on TV, right? Every once in a while. Or my other favorite is when I really need some quiet, taking the kids to a play center and just being like, go in there. I'm going to sit here with a coffee for a couple of hours and just don't talk to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, one other thing I just want to bring in here, because I do think it's one of the places we get fouled up a lot Mm. is that when we think about harm, mm. our mind can also go quickly to the harm that's being caused through like screen addiction, yeah, which is real. Mm-hmm. And getting in, having young kids from a very young age only able to regulate through through screens, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. this is a real problem. And if when I zoom out and think about how are we going to solve this massive screen addiction problem? more mothers in their power. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> are going to be what changes that. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Again, we're back to like, okay, is it the micro of what's happening in my family mm. or is this about you know, resourcing mothers and empowering mothers so that we can be out affecting systems? Both are needed, but I think that if we're too heavily focused on so yes, green addiction absolutely. Mm. And I and I just have so much empathy for all mothers right now and parents who are trying to navigate this because we're up against, mm-hmm. you know, billion dollars worth yeah. of that are trying to get our kids addicted, you know, and, and that's, that's awful. It's horrible. And that's not changing until we get more people with values similar to ours. Mm-hmm. in these positions of power that yeah. can say, we need, we need regulations here. We need research yeah. here. We need, something's got to get change here. So I, I think it's, it's just a constant balancing act, but n- what's best for our kids, what's best for me so that I can be not only mm-hmm. um, an intentional invested mother, but also an empowered, nurtured woman. Yes. Yeah. And I even think, you know, in terms of that, that piece on, making or or I guess trying to create an environment and a context within which that we have better nervous system regulation and better nervous system flexibility. One of the things that I really notice, and I'm sure other mothers notice is that when we feel that we have had these small moments to ourselves and not even just to ourselves, but small moments to complete tasks, because that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that can be hard when we're investing invested so deeply in this in this role is that then when I have opportunities when my kids are dysregulated or when there is challenging behavior or any of that sort of thing, I'm in such a better place to be able to manage that with real presence and with real intention with how I go into that situation as well. And I do think about that in terms of addiction in any in any capacity, whatever we're talking about. I mean, the way that I see addiction is as a coping strategy in many ways. And so when I think about it like that, and I'm thinking about from a place where, you know, what are the wounds that people are carrying that they feel that they need to cope with, or that they need to numb out from, or that they need to manage in some way, 
if we have mothers that are better regulated and therefore more able to really give their children presence and better be able to navigate those really challenging times with children, right? Like in their dis- in the children's dysregulation, the less likely we are to have those issues later on anyway. Like so, and I'm speaking, you know, you're talking there obviously about what we're doing out in the world, but also within the household, within that environment, yeah. that family environment, I see that as being really beneficial as well. So I think that, yeah, it's it really is this this dance continuously as we mother trying to find the ways that we can balance the needs that we have for respite and some sense of autonomy and agency while also respecting the very real and very normal developmentally appropriate needs that our children have, especially when they're young, of so much proximity and engagement and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I absolutely agree that the more regulated we feel, the more aligned with not just our values in a kind of an abstract sense, mm. but our own wellness, like the feeling of I'm I'm not just aligned in the, the choices that I'm making, but I feel good mm. because of the choices I'm making. Yes. You know, literally. because if we're aligned and saying maybe we feel more in alignment by not turning the TV on, right? Yes. That could be yeah. feel more aligned with our values. Yes. But is this, you know, again, is this at my expense? Yeah, and is it aligned with our needs. How, mm-hmm, our, mm. Exactly. So needs mm. and values need to be yeah. considered here. Yeah, 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 exactly. And just as a last question, what what's your what's the big takeaway from you? What do you want mothers to hear? What do you most want to impart mm-hmm. on them that are you know for these mothers that are listening? Yeah, I think the first thing that I always say when people ask this question is that I think we've really got to. I think one of our tasks as this generation of mothers is to break down the story that the reason that this feels so hard is because I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. That it's personal yeah. inadequacy is the source of our our struggle and our you know less than good feeling <laughs> circumstances that it's not about personal inadequacy it's about systems. Yes. You know, it's about structured systems and stories and and lack of support. And then the the other thing that I want to say is that I have in my work with mothers really come to appreciate and see the power of not only getting support from each other as mothers in and more hands on deck with kids, et cetera, but being seen and heard to being witnessed Mm. by other people who are also on a growth and healing path, who are in this mothering role is absolutely essential. Like I I have seen it change the lives of so many women to feel like someone else gets me. Yeah. Someone else really understands what I'm going through and is going through something similar because this is breaking down that hyper individualization Mm -hmm. of our thinking of Mm -hmm. like, it's just me and I have to figure it out. And then it also helps to support relationships, romantic relationships in that we're not expecting our partner to get it all the time because he's living a different experience. He doesn't have the same, even if, even in the same household, he's having a different experience. experience. And so, because his positionality is different. And so the more we can align ourselves with and be in relationship with other mothers who Mm -hmm. are on a growth and healing path, the power of being witnessed in our, even if not even getting into fix it, not, mm-hmm. not like fixing each other's problems, but being mm. like, I see you, I this get it, same. I feel it. Mm. 
It's, it's huge. powerful. It's, it's, it's more powerful than most of us realize because mm-hmm. most of us haven't had very much of it. Yeah. But once you get a taste of it, I think pe- people start to, to, to really understand mm-hmm. just how much it matters and oh, how, my what, goodness. A big, what a game changer it can be. Yeah. That it, it is so powerful. It's making me think of, I caught up with a very good friend of mine just last week, actually, and she doesn't have children. Her and I actually met through music. So both of us were in a band together and we've maintained this beautiful friendship. One of those friends who it doesn't matter how long you mm-hmm. spend not speaking to one another. When you see each other, it's like no time has passed and you just have, you just don't stop talking for the whole time such a beautiful friendship. And she always has this most beautiful way with words. And she wrote me this card and I read it and I just, just completely melted and just cried and cried and cried because from a distance, she had seen my struggle, even though she had not been in it with me, she was seeing me, she was seeing all of the pain mm-hmm. and all of the joy and everything. And there was something, I'm trying to remember the words, the, the last part of the words, it was something to do with you know, finding yourself again and again and again or or something like mm. rebuilding again and again and again. And she was talking about all the different lives that I've lived and it was just, oh, my goodness, it was. it's really such an emotional thing to even think about it. She really saw me and it's such a powerful mm-hmm. thing. There was, there was nothing else needed. There was just me to have my emotional experience and for her to hold me in that and it was just very yeah. special um, yeah. and so meaningful for us mothers. And I, and I think you bring up another good point that and that is that it doesn't have to be other mothers that we're uh, that we are in community with and being resourced by in fact i think it's essential that as we are sort of trying to find our village and create our village that we recognize the beauty and the value of lots of different community members and yeah. how essential it is because those those community members have different perspectives yes and different degrees of they have different resources they have Mm -hmm. different capacity like someone who's not around kids all day can handle Mm. you know like a a good bit of stimulation perhaps that we're just like done we've been already (laughs) way overstimulated and so and to recognize that that also helps us uh, remind us of the diversity of our own identity that yes. we need. Yes. Because yes. when we're just in the thick of it with mothers day in and day out, and if that's the only uh, other, you know, only other people that we're in relationship with, we can start to forget what it is to be in a different role because these yeah. other parts of our identity are, are essential to our felt sense of wholeness and others within the community can really remind us of that. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yes, such a good point. And that's just made me go, yeah, that's why these people are so special to me. And I think mm-hmm. that piece on the capacity that they have, you know, when you are when you have people in your community that are in that same phase as you, they fulfill a role, which is understanding exactly where you are in that moment and potentially brainstorming and problem solving and listening, right? But they are also limited by the fact that they're also raising young children, right? So in terms of their right. capacity to to actually be there physically or provide tangible hands-on support can be limited. So, yeah, and many other reasons as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Beth. That was lovely. And I just have a couple of questions that I love to ask people at the end because I feel like it gives us an idea of what it looks like in the day-to-day of, you know, Beth Berry. So, Beth, what are you listening to at the moment? And that could be music or it could be podcasts. What are you listening to? Let's see. I'd say the last podcast that I 
have been listening to it. Well, I've always got several podcasts and several audiobooks <laughs> going. I'm listening to, I think it's called You Are Your Best. You Are Your Best Thing. Mm-hmm. The Brene Brown and let's see, and Tarana Burks. Mm-hmm. Yes. That one I'm in the middle of. And also I'm reading a book called Love and Power mm-hmm. that I'm really learning a lot from. And Beautiful. Super inspired by. Mm-hmm. 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 And what is the last TV show that you binged? Oh gosh, I don't watch a lot of TV, mm-hmm. but I, I will say that probably the last one I binged was Shameless. Mm, good, was it good? It's good. I really yeah. enjoyed that show. Yeah. <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. I don't know that one. I'll have to check it out. This is secretly my way mm-hmm. of stocking up on. <laughs> <laughs> what to listen <laughs> right. to and what to uh-huh. watch, yeah. And I know you mentioned Love and Power that you're reading at the moment, but what do you feel has been the most influential book that you've read? Oh, gosh. I mean, the one that comes to mind right away is Belonging by Tokopa Turner. Mm. That book just pops up in my mind and heart all the mm. time. I mean, that's the first one that comes to mind. There are so many, yeah, so yeah. many influential books, but that's that's the first one that I think the first me. one's always the right one. <laughs> it's, it's stuck around for a reason. So beautiful. Yeah. And Beth, you know, if people are listening and they want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? So my website is revolutionfromhome.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm also on Instagram at revolutionfromhome and also a Facebook, same, same handle. Oh, Beth, thank you so much for your vulnerability and for sharing your time here with me. I've so enjoyed the conversation. I could keep going and going, but I'm looking at the time and thinking I better be quiet. So <laughs> thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you. It's been a it's been a pleasure. I, I feel the same way. We could we could mm. there's so many more topics we could cover, but I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me, Mama. If you enjoyed this episode, I would just love for you to leave me a review and follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me over at Instagram where my handle is at lifeafterbirthpsychology and you can find out more about how I can support you on your mothering journey at my website www.lifeafterbirth.com.au. See you back here soon for our next chat.